This episode of Deja Food is sponsored by our local favourites, Co-op. Co-op has supported the National Student for years, and now we're delighted that they're sponsoring our new venture in podcasting. Co-op can help you make healthy choices, and most importantly, is right there on your local high street. We all know that saving money is important, and that's why Co-op gives students 10% off with a Totem or NUS Extra card. Find your nearest Co-op at co-op.co.uk forward slash food. Thanks again to Co-op. In rough times, I go to I go straight to that broccoli. <laughs> we can we can deal with a child. I used to hate meal times. It was a hobby that sort of got out of control. Okay. <laughs> so who are we talking to today, Lucy? Um, today we're talking to Miguel Barclay. He is a chef with some really nice aesthetically pleasing very brightly coloured cookbooks they're called the super easy one pound meals fast and fresh one pound meals and delicious food for less and he's also going to have a vegan book coming out very soon um all his books are based on single serving recipes and every recipe costs around a pound so that's really really great the book will be out soon soon from headline so look out for that he started out as a, an Instagrammer and he wasn't a chef at all. He realized that some recipes were really successful and some of the media started picking up on it and he ended up being a chef, but he was not a chef, which actually probably explains why it's so easy to follow his recipes. And probably why his books are so pretty and how his photography is very, very bright and colourful because he started on Instagram. Ah, interesting. Also, what else do we know about him? He's got a baby boy. I think it's become very clear in our interview that he's got a child. Lucy and I are trying to talk to him on Skype. I don't want to say he got rid of his baby because he didn't. His wife came home <laughs> and took over. So we could speak to him um, without the baby. I mean, it sounded sweet, and but not, not ideal for a podcast. Yeah, it didn't have much to give the baby, did it? No. Anyway, on we go. On we go. Let's maybe start with, with the one pound meals. How how did that all start? So it used to be a game that I used to play at home. So you know normally people do the like what what can you make out of stuff that's in the fridge? Mm. Um I used to take it a little step further and I used to be at work and I used to get up a spreadsheet uh, and then I used to plan out uh, cool stuff to cook for a quid so I was doing that for ages and ages and then one day I went on Instagram because I wasn't even on Instagram I went on there and I was like oh I wonder if someone else does one pound meals no one did so the, like the name was free so I just got it and then felt like I really had to start posting stuff now I had that username and, uh, and did it and, and then it sort of turned into something we're just going to go back to your story and how food was related to that. So could you tell us about your earliest food memory? I'm half Spanish, so my parents used to take me to Spain twice a year. And the earliest food memory that I can think of is, you know, in Spain they eat like white bait, like little fishes. Now they eat, eat them with the heads on, so you eat the eyes and everything. And I remember eating little fishes with the eyes <laughs> and I remember thinking I was really adult <laughs> that's what the adults do 
It was like a little bit squeamish. I didn't really want to do it, but I felt like it made me like an adult if I did it. So I just used to eat them and go, yeah, I don't mind. In fact, it's got eyes in it. Um, And that was it. That's the earliest food memory I've got. Scary. And what food reminds you of your childhood? Again, because my mum's Spanish, it's Spanish food. She used to cook stuff that... I hadn't really, well, no one had really seen, like, in the 80s, she used to cook, like, albondigas and croquetas and stuff like that, and obviously, at school and at my friends' houses, which are my only two other experiences of eating food, <laughs> I've never seen those before, so probably, like, homemade croquetas, I don't know, it's quite a laborious process, because you've got to chill it down afterwards, and there's always trays of, like, chilled-down croquetta filling in the, in the fridge, so, yeah, I guess that's oh, the thing that reminds me of my childhood. And was there a single moment you you wanted food as your career? No, it sort of crept up on me. So it was a hobby that sort of got out of control. So I really just enjoy food. I never thought I'd do anything like food for a career, but it was my hobby. So the more I could do it, the happier I was. And then it just so happened that I did this one pound meals thing and people wanted more of it so I had to carry on doing it and now it is my job um, so it's always nice when a hobby turns into a job but it was never an intentional thing so what happened did you um, did it become so successful and then brands started approaching you and then a publisher and so on well I started doing um, recipes on Instagram and then some of them got quite popular I did a katsu curry that got quite popular um, and then newspapers started writing about it, which, which was I was really lucky because I didn't have anywhere near the following uh, that I should have had for newspapers to take notice of what I was doing. Um, but because it was quite a catchy title, uh, the fact that it was one pound meals, they were like, yeah, yeah, we could write something about that. So they started writing about it. And then it just made me look like I was more I don't know, established than I was. And I managed to get a book deal out of it. And then once I had a book deal, it became a full-time job. Uh, and then that was the next six months of my life, making that book. And have you then ever had a personal relationship with food? And how has it changed? Only, I mean, I, I, I eat quite a lot. So my relationship with food is probably, I don't know, a little bit unhealthy in that I was always taught never to leave an empty plate. And I'm around food all the time now. So it's quite difficult to not leave an empty plate. Like I'll, I'll be cooking three or four dishes a day and um, and I just can't help myself but finish the whole thing. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get used to just saving stuff, but I like to eat it while it's hot before it goes cold. I guess that sort of is a relationship, the fact that I have to eat it all. <laughs> um, but it's something that I'm trying to change. So <laughs> I'm trying to be more discerning about I could eat this, but I could save this for later, whereas my instinct is just to eat it all straight away. With all the food you've got around you, do you have a favourite food smell, and what does it represent? My favourite food smell is pan-fried garlic. So you know, you might be cooking some, I don't know, some mushrooms or something, and then you throw in some garlic, and then for that sort of three or four minutes afterwards... There's a real distinctive smell, and I think a lot of that comes from uh, the Spanish sort of Mediterranean 
sort of style mm. of food that I was brought up with, uh, my Spanish roots. Do you think that food can change the world? It's a difficult question. I feel like there are problems in the world that are food related, and if we solve those problems, so hunger, hunger would probably be the uh, the biggest one. Uh, something needs to be done about that. Um, so I'm not 100% sure what can be done. I'm doing a tiny little bit for a few people by releasing budget cookery books and, and budget recipes. So that's helping some people that didn't have the confidence to cook to get in the kitchen and start cooking. Um, but I think there's, there's a bigger worldwide problem that this tactic isn't really going to work for. Uh, it's something that needs to be done at like government level. And, um, but as far as the UK, I can help as many people as I can help. So I'm going to keep on trying to motivate people into cooking, giving them the tools, which are the recipes and the know-how and, and the, the enthusiasm and the inspiration to start cooking. Uh, and if I can change a few people's lives, then, then that makes me feel really happy. But there are some bigger, wider worldwide problems that, that I'm not going to be able to help with. Actually, that leads on really well with the next question, which is how food can bring communities together. Food can definitely bring communities together. If you imagine, I don't know, like a, a little rural village somewhere um, and a nice sort of casual restaurant opens, it becomes like a focal point and people eat together. Or if it's... Um, like a communal kitchen. I did some work with some housing associations and they were saying that there is a real problem that people don't know the people who live next door to them. So we put on some some events that were in the communal kitchens and it, and it brought everyone together and, and we got everybody cooking for everybody. So three or four people would cook on one night and ten people would eat it and it brought everyone together and got them socialising together. Um, and that was a, a cool little neat thing to do. But yeah, I think food is a, is a focal point, especially if you go to Europe. Food really is the focus of why people meet and how people socialise. Um, in England, it used to be the pubs. People used to go to the pub and make their friends at the pub and meet their friends at the pub and, and stuff like that. Um, and in Europe, it's more about food. Food is probably a, a healthier <laughs> reason to meet up. And is there anything that you go to in times of crisis? Um, if I wanted to feel good, then a lasagna, quite like that. It's nice comfort food. And it just makes you feel happy. You stick it in the oven and then you've got to wait a while and you're like, oh, I can't wait for that lasagna. And then it comes out and you eat it and you feel happy. Um, so, yeah, as far as food and mood, uh, comfort food always makes me feel happy. And... Um, and it is a lovely, a lovely thing to, to be able to cook yourself a nice, comforting meal, uh, put a little smile on your face, curl up, watch a bit of TV and go to bed. I mean, that's, that's the perfect evening. Is there anything that you love cooking for your friends if they're feeling a bit down? Probably the lasagna. I mean, it's such a cliche dish to make someone a lasagna and take it around their house <laughs> for a time or whatever. But it... It's true. There's something about lasagna that just makes people feel happy. I think it's because it's got loads of cheese in it. And <laughs> me, if I ever had to go to someone's house and, and, and bring something and, and cheer them up or whatever, 
a lasagna would be absolutely perfect. And is that how you, you build your books then, in terms of what makes you feel good and what you like cooking and what people you think people like cooking? So there's a lot of budget cookbooks out there where they're actually trying to solve the problem of what can you eat for X amount of money. But I attack it in a different way of like, what's the most fun thing you can create for a pound? So all of my dishes are upbeat, sort of vibrant dishes that, that put a smile on your face. So there's no, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that cook really depressing dishes. And, um, and that's, that's not what I want to do. Uh, my main priority isn't to keep someone alive. What is the, the, the minimum thing that is required to keep someone alive, which would be like that lentil dish or something. My thing is, is what's the most fun thing you can do for a pound? And, and, and none of it's depressing. It's not an end of the world book, like, oh, I'm going to die if I don't learn how to cook these recipes. It's uh, let's have some fun and it's not going to cost us much money and I'm going to get into cooking and I'm going to learn some new techniques and I'm going to really, really enjoy my evening meals because you can get bogged down with not enjoying your evening meals if you're just sort of eating to survive, which is an important thing to learn and an, an important service that other people provide with the, with the recipes they create. But it's just not my angle. My angle is how much fun can you have for a pound? What food would you bring to a desert island? If it was a genre of food, it would be Italian food. That is my favourite above all. If you had to live on just one thing? Oh, potatoes all day long. I love potatoes. So um, you can grate them, make a nice little little rusty, you can fry them and have chips, you can mash them and have mashed potatoes, you can do like fondant potatoes. That that was def- that would definitely be 100% the item that I would take. And is that something that you, you prepare for, for your baby at the moment? Is that loads of potatoes and fried oh, garlic? <laughs> no, he is only just starting to eat. So we've only given him solid food twice. He had a mashed up banana. And he was, he wasn't really into it, but I don't think the banana was ripe enough. It wasn't sweet enough. And then he had some mashed up butternut squash, and he loved it. He's a uh, he, he's going to be getting into food soon. But I've just done a um, a vegan book that's coming out, so I think we're going to start him off vegan. I think most kids start off like vegetarian, vegan anyway with their diet. But um, but yeah, that's that's how we're going to start him off. Could you tell us about your most powerful food memory? My most powerful food memory? It's a, it's a difficult question. I assume that you're talking about the thing that's impacted me the most, the thing that I think about the most. And for me, it was a, a recipe. It was a dish that I had at a place called Constant, which doesn't exist anymore. It was a chef called Oliver Rowe down at King's Cross. And I went there with my wife once and... I had this lamb dish, uh, it was just lamb, mashed potato, and wild garlic, and that was it. It was really, really simple, but it was done beautifully well. And that's when I realized that simplicity is the key to, uh, to cooking. Um, and then I, I started simplifying what I was doing. So I don't know if I'm roasting a chicken, I just, just salt, pepper, tiny little bit of olive oil 
I don't put lemons inside the cavity and stuff like that. And I've sort of kept it on a, a little bit since, like, it's sort of shaped the way that I think about cooking. Um, just simplicity and let the ingredients speak for themselves. And if you're eating lamb, then let it taste of lamb. You don't need to put loads of other stuff in there that are going to compete with the uh, with the main flavour of the lamb. Um, so I guess that's probably one of the most powerful food memories I've got. Was that a time that you had already started um, your Instagram account? Like the place closed down maybe seven years ago. So th- this must have been it must have been about ten years ago. Um, and I because I hadn't really eaten much food posh food. It was just a real eye eye opener for me, and uh, and, it, and it really stuck with me. Uh, and and still to this day, it was one of my favourite restaurants ever. But I only ever ate there. But it stuck with me. That's why it's a powerful food memory. I love the simplicity of it and just how lovely it all tasted, uh, and how the flavours really came through. And is there anything that you would say to to our listeners about how to make the most of their money? What would you say to them if they struggled? with doing good food on their student budget? First thing is you need to cook from scratch. So that means buying tinned tomatoes and and, and and using that as a base instead of buying like the ready-made sauces. And then you've got a plan. If you plan your week's meals, then you stand a greater chance of, of overlapping ingredients because you've got to minimise waste. And, and when you know what you're getting, you can specifically go out and buy it. And that keeps your your weekly bill, uh, shopping bill lower because you're not buying stuff on a whim. You, you, you've pre-planned what you've gone out to get. You go and get it and then you cook those meals throughout the week. Also, if you bulk stuff out with rice and pasta and, and carbs like potatoes, then that a little goes a long way. So you can use like a tiny little bit, bit of meat. And, and, and a lot of rice and, and make a, a nice little sort of stir-fried rice dish. And, and that's a lot, lot cheaper than, I don't know, like a pork chop. Instead of a pork chop with rice, you could just have, I don't know, a little bit of bacon with rice and turn it into a nice Chinese stir-fry. And it's a lot, lot cheaper. You don't need the big chunks of meat. You, you sort of have a little bit of meat and bulk it out. Also, another thing, don't buy grated cheese and cut veg. Do it yourself because... Like someone in a factory somewhere has had to cut that veg for you or grate that cheese for you. And if it wasn't a person, then it was a machine and you had to pay for that. So why not just buy a whole carrot and <laughs> cut it up yourself? Well, thank you very much for your time. Cool. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. For more from us, visit at National Student on Twitter at The National Student on Instagram or search The National Student on Facebook. You think we've said The National Student enough? Because if not, I can just add, you can also find us on thenationalstudent.com. Oh yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Deja Food. This podcast is produced by The National Student and hosted by Lucy Miller and Camille Dupont. Thanks to Alex Sweetman for coming up with our name. Our theme music is Quasi-Motion by Kevin MacLeod. Our logo was designed by your host, Camille. If our chat with Miguel has inspired you, find more quick and easy recipes and lots of healthy vegan options at coop.co.uk forward slash recipes.